Walter Cronkite once said, in seeking truth, you have to get both sides of the story. The media is no longer interested in both sides of the story. Sometimes they don't want either side. Not if it contradicts with their own. Because, worst of all, they're not even interested in really seeking the truth. I know I've been there. The media machine is so odious and so corrupt that when it, in, it, when it encounters an actual journalist, it rejects them. Uh, it's like the body rejecting a disease. That's exactly what happened to our guest today. She's got so many Walter Cronkite qualities, except for the lean towards socialism kind of part, um, that she drives journalists out of their mind. She has a spine, a soul. She's got gumption, fortitude, tenacity. She has a moral compass. She has an eye for politics and innate ability to say the right thing in the perfect way. And she is one incredible uh, interviewer. If I would not want to be on the side of a hostile Megyn Kelly interview. In an era of fake news, she cares about telling the truth and... Towards the end of this podcast, you'll really understand why she has become unwavering in this pursuit online and the media hates it for years. They've tried to silence her. But now, welcome to the freedom of the Internet and welcome to the Glenn Beck podcast. This week's guest, Megan Kelly. I swear to you, my wife is buying time on this program because I'm I'm now doing a a commercial for an exercise bike and protein bars. Uh, and look at me. I mean, you work to get a body like this. Um, the protein bars, however, uh, are a complete and total joy. They are so good. They're like a candy bar. Now, they're low calorie, high fiber, low carb. You probably shouldn't consume them at least as many of them as I might do, but they are really, really good and healthy, you know, in the right amount. I'm just saying that's my wife talking, not me. Builtbar.com. Great, great, great snacks and protein bar, a way for you to um, get in state shape, stay in shape, but also please the sweet tooth. BuiltBar.com. Just try it. Use the promo code Beck at $10 off your first order. That's promo code Beck at BuiltBar.com. Megan, uh, you're known for the news. You're known for incredible interviews. Um, but I think you're also known for being a great thinker. And I, I want to start with something a little more philosophical. Where are we as a nation right now? We're just about as polarized and divided as we've been in several decades, Glenn. Um, I mean, I think we're definitely more tribal uh, than we've been in 100 years. The People have actually taken hard looks at, at this to see. And I think as opposed to having a moment where we've come together after a difficult time, Corona, or even the protests that we saw with George Floyd over the summer, mm -hmm. it, they've only driven us farther apart. But and they, I don't see the but, bridge getting healed anytime soon. People are retreating to their separate teams as opposed to even wanting to find a way back to one another. But isn't that brought on by something bigger than individuals i mean george floyd i don't know a single person that disagreed i mean 
I agree with the idea Black Lives Matter. I just don't believe in Black Lives Matter, Inc. Um, of course. And the force behind it, the money behind it, uh, and, the, and the actual goals behind that particular group, and there's others like that. But I don't know anybody who doesn't think that what happened was right, and I think we were together, and then we were ten- intentionally taken apart. Mm-hmm. Because it became political. When, when the concept of Black Lives Matter was introduced, lowercase BLM, Americans were on board. Right. But then it became political. And if you look at the stats now, more than 80% of Republicans do not support Black Lives Matter. Okay, so it's now, and, and most Democrats do. So now it's gone almost right down the middle, a partisan issue because it's been commercialized, it's been politicized to the point where the people who they're after are not racists, they're Republicans. Mm -hmm. They're funding Democratic candidates. They're trying to defund police, which actually isn't a left-right issue, but they'll make you think it is. Um, So they they blew the opportunity they had by overreaching. I mean, I know people like Mark Cuban, who was on my podcast, tried to tell you it's just about a movement, you know, to to improve race relations. Well, that's that's pie in the sky stuff. That's Mm -hmm. not actually true. If you look at what, for example, the Seattle Black Lives Matter movement put out, Like, what are we all about? We are about defunding the police, of course, opening up all prisons, dismantling the justice system, um, attacking the education system. They don't want a male, female uh, nuclear family. I mean, it's like, wow, you've got a lot of work ahead of you. But I think I'm going to withhold my donation until I because I kind of want the criminals to stay in the prisons. (laughs) Call me. I'm one of those suburban moms. Maybe No, I'm actually living in New York City, but still, I want the prisoners to stay in prison. Right. Uh, right. Weird like that. Right. I you know, I, I said in 2004 uh, when the Democrats put Michael Moore into the presidential box and I think Jimmy Carter was sitting next to him and I said, Democrats, you don't know what you're dealing with here. You're dealing with uh, a movement that is not mainstream. Now, this is Michael Moore, but back then not mainstream. You think you're going to use him and others like him as fuel, but they are going to eat you in the end. Um, And I think that's what we're seeing now that I mean, the Democrats have been playing footsie with these very dangerous groups, I guess, thinking that it politically will help them. But now they've got to try to put this back into a into a bottle. And I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Well, that'll be the interesting thing, Glenn, because what's happened, Candace Owens has been pointing this out, and this this is true. As a member of the media, I've seen it too. Every four years, right before election time, they pick a case of a black male being unfairly attacked or, mm-hmm. or attacked for some reason by a police officer, and they try to gin up racial sentiments around it, you know, as opposed to, you know, not highlighting the case of Tony Timba, the white guy who had cops on his neck for 16 minutes being totally brutal and they didn't care at all about him. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying it wasn't a racial issue with Tony. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people would argue, where's the proof that it was a racial issue with George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a presumption because the cop was white and George was black, but they presume that a lot and they really gin it up in an election year. So there's a real question about whether we're being manipulated. And honestly, the media has a huge role in it. The media takes a tape and they roll it over and over and over and over again. And I think the average America has no idea that in 2019, the number of 
black men who were unarmed, who were killed by police. If you give the Washington Post its revised number, because it revised them upward when they Mm -hmm. realized people were going to look at them, is about 15, depending on which cases, but it's about 15. That's being charitable to them. 15. The cops make 11 million arrests a year. Mm -hmm. 11 million. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the number of white men who are killed who are who don't have a weapon and keep in mind they consider you unarmed if you have a weapon in your glove box and you're driving you're unarmed according to these stats um is much higher but they say okay well black people only comprise you know 13 to 14 percent of the population and there's it's a higher percentage than that but you have to look at the crime rate you have to look at the crime rate of black men who are usually the ones in this situation you look at that you're a racist so this is how it goes right downward spiral from there facts are still knowable and the media has an obligation to present them with context, but right? Don't. Instead of just putting a video on loop to mislead people into thinking, like LeBron James said, that black men are getting hunted in the streets by police, which is a lie. Right. Um, so is the, I mean, I used to be much more charitable towards the media than I am now. I mean, I saw the same games played at CNN that I saw played at Fox, and it's... If you like television news, it's great. It's like sausage. You don't ever want to see it made because I've seen it from the start to finish. And it rarely resembles what it started out as. Um, And I used to be more charitable. Well, people, you know, everybody has their own kind of viewpoint and they're kind of, you know, they're trying, struggling. Then I started realizing they're not interested there. I mean, I don't know how many how many interviews I have done where the person looking at me who's interviewing me has absolutely no interest into what I'm going to say. They have their list of questions. They're going there. They've already made their mind up and they just go. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder. Yeah, they're not, they're go not ahead. trying to learn. Yeah, they're not there. No, they're not trying to learn. Yeah. I mean, it's like and even now. Not only are they not trying to learn, they're afraid to ask follow-up questions if they're on a dicey subject. I mean, I I remember sitting this summer, I was doing my makeup and I had the TV on and Allison Camerata uh, of CNN, who used to be at Fox, mm-hmm. was interviewing some woman and who was in favor of defunding the police. And Allison said, well, I, you know, I have young kids and what's going to happen? Who am I going to call if in the middle of the night somebody breaks in my home? And the response was, that's your privilege talking. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, whether it is or it isn't, my privilege wants an answer. Right? Like, mm-hmm. Allison asked no follow up to that. Why? Because she's scared. She's scared if she asks any follow up. She's like, holy shit, maybe it is my white privilege talking. Oh, my God, I've got to check my privilege. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, if I had been there, I would have been like, OK, sure. My privilege wants an answer right now. What is it supposed right. to do? Who's my privilege? Because I still got the three kids in the back, whether you shame me or you don't. But nobody will do that because they don't want to be called a racist. They don't want to be called an elitist. Well, Megan, I don't buy that. Gotta... I, I'm sorry. I don't buy that. I've been called a racist for 15 years. I don't feel like there's a racist bone in my body. Maybe there is. I mean, I'm, we all have our own uh, you know, problems. But I really try to be open-minded. I, I will not tolerate this garbage it doesn't stop me it doesn't stop you so what is the deal with what 95 percent of the journalists that are they're just going along with what's happened over the last five years well i think it's a couple of things i think number one they believe in that same ideology they're on board a lot of them are not center left they're left left 
And it makes them feel better to demonize others, to try to say, I am better. I am the anti-racist. I am the anti-sexist. And just by demonizing people who don't think like uh, I do, I feel better. So they like to have people like that on who affirm their worldview and make them feel better than. Um, But I also think for those who aren't fully bought in, they're afraid. Yeah, they're afraid they're going to get they're going to get fired. They're going to say the wrong thing. You can get fired now for liking a President Trump tweet. I mean, you can you know, you can say something you think is totally innocuous and then only to find out the Internet has turned on you. And if you don't have a supportive boss, you're done. And most people don't have financial independence, so they really have to worry about it. No denying that 2020 has been a crazy year. We're seeing chaos happening in cities all across America. We never imagined to see because of all of that chaos happening in our own communities. We had to ensure that our own reporters at the blaze that are brave enough to go out onto the scene in some of this chaos here in America are protected for any situation they may face. We have sent reporters into war zones before, and yes, they were wearing Kevlar. But now our own Elijah Schaefer has been confronted so many times and his life has been put into danger. It made us look for the best way to protect him here and to protect our crew should they be caught in the middle of any kind of situation. You might be in one of those situations just going into town. Shopping for ballistic body armor may seem like something you never thought you'd have to do. And God forbid we ever did have to do it, but I've done it. I would like you to consider doing it, too. We have um, made friends with a new company called AR500 Armor. AR500 Armor are the ones that we turn to and we trust, uh, outfitting all of us. I mean, mine is in nor I don't know if there's any ballistic armor left after they made it. Anyway, for any kind of uh, situation that you might find yourself in, where you're just trying to get to work and you want to feel safe. AR 500 armor makes buying ballistic body armor, easy, approachable and affordable. They build a special package. That's 30% off just for you. It's perfect for anyone trying to ensure that they have just the right amount of protection for any dangerous situation while maintaining affordability. Go to AR 500 armor.com slash back AR 500 armor.com slash back. See the package. Use the promo code back for 20% off anything else in their entire store. Plan now for how you plan to protect yourself and your family. Trust AR 500 armor at AR 500 armor.com slash back. What role did we play in this division? Do you think? No, I, I hate to well, I don't... put you in the collective we here, but people like me. I mean, when I was at Fox, I spoke my mind. I said the things that I, you know, I said at Fox, I think President Obama is racist. No, wait, that's not quite right. He just seems to have some sort of deep seated hatred for the white culture. Well, what I was feeling and I and I just realized this in the last year, what I was feeling that I didn't understand was critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So did we Look, play I, a I role in this or were we exposing I, the truth? I don't I don't see it quite like that. I don't I mean, I'm I'm proud of the work I did at Fox News. And I, I also think in general, the Fox News mission is a good one, you know, to give voice to the voiceless, which is half the country to remind people that they are not alone, that 
71 million people in this country feel as they do. 74 million voted for Biden, 71 million voted for Trump. You're not alone no matter what the media tells you or Hollywood tells you or big tech or corporate America. But listen, I'm not going to say that everyone's perfect. You go on TV and the nature of cable is a little freewheeling. Sometimes you say things that aren't perfectly well phrased. phrased. And and the, the beauty is you can go on and clarify or apologize if you feel you need to. And that's all appropriate. What's not appropriate is trying to ruin someone for having one of those moments. That's what the other side does. The the quote left, capital left, the the established media that wants to make themselves feel better as though they've never made and never will make a mistake. And I think the average people, you know, sitting out there watching this are disgusted by them. And but but it's become so ubiquitous. They sit at home thinking, Am I crazy? Am I? Am I? Maybe I am right. the one. Maybe every thought I have is awful. Like, like that's what they're telling me. Correct. You know, that's why the Fox News mission is a valid one, if very imperfectly executed. Our no, mission wait, wait. right now in this I, digital world is also the same. L- let me let me just throw in on the Fox News mission. I've always believed that, and I know that was you know the the understanding when they were built. I don't think that's the understanding. You can't have Neil Cavuto last night or a couple of nights ago say uh let's uh let's stop taking the white house press person because that's dangerous stuff we don't want to listen to that who mm-hmm. if if i went and said okay well i do want to listen to that i want to judge for myself i don't even know where i would go to get it but i know that if i got it and reposted it i'd be demonetized or i'd be throttled by one of the social medias mm-hmm. what happened to this idea that there is no church, you know, there is no uh, uh, yeah. Catholic church saying, no, the world is flat. Right. Where is the other? Where's the other side? We can't express it now. Well, I agree with that. I mean, I tweeted out about this. I thought that was wrong. And I thought it was wrong when the network news anchors interrupted Trump. You want to fact check the president? Great. That's what a journalist should do. I have no problem with that. You wait until he's yes. offered whatever statement it is he has to offer. Correct. You're not, you're not the papa. You're not the daddy of the viewer, right? You're the news anchor. You don't get to interfere in, in that relationship between the president and the people. And if we want to open that door, Glenn, where's that going to end? You know, I tweeted out, can you imagine if we had done this when we knew, we knew it was untrue that if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Do you yep. have any idea how many times I could have in, I could have interrupted oh, Barack yeah, Obama? Me too. I could have pulled him off the air yep. so many times to say that's not true. And guess what? That's really dangerous. Right. Because Kaylee McEnany, worst case scenario, is undermining your faith in the electoral process. Barack Obama is is going to take away your health plan and your doctor and actually put lives at risk right. with that lie which at the time we knew it was untrue. We just didn't know if he knew it was untrue. So I never called it a lie. And then the reporting came out. He knew it was untrue. It and was that's true. what leads me to say it was a lie. And he knew it was a lie when he did it. And we let him tell it. And then we fact checked him. I don't know who they think they are cutting off the president, the press secretary. So, and I think that's got to stop. And I, and I think, you know, if Roger Ailes had been there, he, he would have had a talk with Neil Cavuto. Oh, he would have had a talk. Um, absolutely. The, um, the, the scary thing here is, and I don't know, I was just talking to Dave Rubin about this last week. And I said, Dave, 
I, I find myself in this really weird position to where I take people. I mean, I said on WABC in 1999, there'll be blood buildings and bodies in the streets of Manhattan in the next 10 years. And Osama bin Laden's name will be all over it. Because I take people at their word when they say they're going to do something that's crazy. They usually do it if they have the opportunity. So when I look at the Truth and Reconciliation Project and I look at this movement where they're saying that we have to shame these people out of polite society, make sure they never work again. I, I look at that and I am struck by something I never understood in history until now. What, what were the German Jews thinking in 1930 to 1934? I mean, they told you what was coming. And I think they may have been thinking something similar that we are. They don't really mean that. That's never going to happen here. People are never going to do those things. To We're different. Are we different? Well, we're different than Nazi Germany. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but, I know. But, but we're not different as people when you just keep letting bad ideas and people just go unchecked. Don't you? You can be an optimist and be realistic at the same time. You right. can be somebody who hopes that somehow people will appeal to their own better angels and act well, but be realistic about the evidence in front of your face. And I completely agree with you on this accountability project being started by former Obama Biden guys, yep. um, how they're going to come and get not just the people who worked in the Trump administration, which is bad enough. Mm -hmm. OK, not just them. Like, sure, let's let's go get let's make sure Rick Grinnell, the first openly gay guy to ever work at the cabinet level in the United States. Let's make sure he never works again. Sure. Let's get behind that. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's put the cabinet officials and this, the Trump administration officials to the side, absurd as that is. They're saying they're going to go after any Trump enabler. Enabler. Okay, so that means voters. That means anybody who's sending out pro-Trump tweets. And not only are they going to try to stop you from getting a job by blackballing you or threatening your employer, they're talking about how if you want to write a book, good luck, because we're going to go to the publisher and we're going to say, we will blackball that book and we will blackball and boycott every single book in your entire library but go ahead sign a contract with him it's insane and so you have to be realistic about what they're saying they're going to do and trust them because you know what they did with this accountability project glenn is they kind of lifted the dress up you uh -huh. know like they kind of they showed it they yeah. showed it all you know they said the thing out loud that they normally yep. don't say in, in here in new york city where i live that voted i think it was 87 percent democrat in the presidential election um that you know better than to start talking about something good Trump did it, in any society here, the cocktail party, mm -hmm. picking up your kid from school, mm -hmm. anywhere. Not just because, you know, you're, someone's going to recoil in horror, but it could be held against your kid or you in some way. Can you imagine having said it openly and now having people like this feel emboldened because their leader has ascended to the top and, you know, they're getting their list together and they've got the support of the media? It's not just these activists. The media, number one, would support it anyway. You saw the Jake Tapper tweet. Oh, yeah. But number two is openly saying that. Jennifer Rubin, that lunatic at the Washington Post. Crazy. The Washington Post. Democracy dies in darkness. Oh, but the light has come out, Glenn. She actually said, we have a list. 
and anyone pushing bogus claims of voter fraud. Okay, so if you're looking into that right now is going on the list and it will no longer be hired at a corporate board level, be able to publish a book or be accepted into polite society. Okay, so if if it's Jennifer Rubin's polite society, we're good. None of us wants to be there. So <laughs> but you have but the truth is you, you have you Washington. You have people in the Washington Post. You have people in the New York Times. You have Robert Reich saying it. You have a website now run by some pretty big names that are now gathering names. They've taken the names down. But just a couple of days ago, they were all posted there. But they realized they overstepped by posting the names. Um, But they are serious. How is that different than a small little group of people, um, you know, in in a foreign country in the 30s saying, we're going to get these people, these people, these communists have to go. The only well, difference is power. It's escalating because uh, uh, six months ago, even three months ago, especially three months ago over the summer. Crazy. I don't know about you, but I had so many people coming up to me saying, like, I, uh, this is how I feel. Right? Uh-huh. They, they don't want to say it out loud anymore. People are already getting afraid to say how they really feel because You've been called a racist. I've been called a racist. I mean, we're kind of used to it now. If you're at all yeah. affiliated with the right wing, you've been called a racist. After time, it just doesn't have the same effect on you. But think of your, if you're a civilian, it, it still has a massive effect on you. Mm-hmm. And you'll do anything to avoid it. And you certainly don't feel comfortable saying, I don't support Black Lives Matter. I don't believe in their crazy mission, right. which is to defund police, which, by the way, will hurt black people more than anybody, anybody else. else. They don't. They don't want to say it. So we started off with the, you know, the, the underground conversations. And even out in Hollywood, you know, for a while they had um, Friends of Abe, mm-hmm. right? The underground Hollywood mm-hmm. folks who they can never say that they're Republican. Never. Mm-hmm. So they had to meet underground and mm-hmm. sort of see that they weren't alone. And now it's escalating to above ground. Now Joe Biden's elected. It's so, so it appears. And they're saying it out loud. They're, they're proud of it. They're, they're openly declaring what they're going to do to... The other 70 million. And so far, other than a few people saying, hey, what? People are pretty quiet about it. They're going about their day. They may not realize that they're coming for you. Okay, let me take a second to talk about uh, Not Free America. This is a new book that is out, and you're going to love it. It is written by Mike Donovan. is the guy who has fought tyranny for years. He um, is the actual founder of the nation's largest pro bono civil rights law firm. And I used to I mean, you used to think that civil rights were just like the left. They were, you know, I have a right to put a crucifix in urine. Well, civil rights are becoming more and more important, and uh, they have been infringed upon for a long time. Our Bill of Rights has been under attack long before COVID-19 or George Floyd's murder. If you refuse to surrender liberty to any earthly power, may I suggest you read Not Free America. It solves the issue of citizens being used by the government. Um, But it's not just a it's not just a book that tells you the problem. It actually has a solution. I want you to go to the website, notfreeamerica.com. Take the Liberty Pledge and order your copy today. Find out how to stop the overreaching abuse of our government and what actions you can take to do better. Work together. Uh, fix America together. Stand for liberty. I want you to go to Not Free America, NotFreeAmerica.com. Order your book today. Tell me what this election really says to you. Um, assuming Joe Biden is our next president, it was a close election. Um, and 
And Joe Biden is I mean, don't I do not mean this in a mean way. I remember my grandfather when we had to take his keys away from him. And that's where Joe Biden is in his life. And I don't say that with any malice in my heart. I really don't. I think it's sad to watch a man who has been great. I don't agree with any of his policies, but he has been a leader for a very long time. And to watch him fade like this and to be pushed into into this um, as we're as we're looking at half the country voted for a guy who's slipping and a guy they think is going to be moderate, even though everyone around him is is radical. And they voted against I don't know if they voted for him or just against the chaos. I, I think there was a lot of people that just said, I can't take the bickering. And this guy is just going to he sees not red states and blue states. He sees the United States. And that's where we're going. Is there going to be a wake up call if he's not that guy? Mm, yes, because I think the way I interpreted the vote was they did reject wokeism. That's why the Democrats lost 10 or 11 house seats in the House. Right. In the house. That's why it doesn't look like they have control of the Senate. Uh, you know, we have the two runoffs in Georgia, but the Republicans have never lost a runoff in Georgia ever. Um, so we got that going. They, that's why they lost at the state level. I do think the, the rejection of Trump in those 74 million votes was about Trump's personal behavior yes. and not about his pushback against these things, which they don't like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the people who really did Trump in were college educated suburban suburbanites, uh, women in particular, but also men. If you went to college and, and you live in the suburbs, you didn't vote Trump. And what is that about? That That's about, you know, chaos at the White House, uh, pepper spraying people, you know, who are protesting outside of the White House and then denying you did it so they can have a photo op with the Bible. You know, uh, the many lies that he would tell for no reason, mm -hmm. like the crowd sizes, which we all knew wasn't true, like just erratic behavior that makes, I think, a lot of women I know say, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I, I don't really want my kids seeing. And then maybe we'll just go with the old guy who says he'll just do the one term. And he's always been moderate. He's got 50 years to prove that. So I'm just going to move my chips over here just for this one time. And then we'll see. And, and I'll keep him boxed in because I'm going to vote uh, Republican down mm -hmm. ticket. I, I think that a lot of people that I know felt that way up until really Kavanaugh. Then things started to change. I know a lot of people, even to this day, even me, I don't like defending Trump's behavior. I don't. There's this just I, I can't defend it. Um, however, yeah, I was saying you should. You don't have to. Right. But however, there has come to me in the last year or so um, a thought that really only he he's a ticking time bomb and he just blows things up whenever he's in the room. And I was so concerned in 16 when people said, I just want to burn the whole thing down. And I was like, no, 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 you don't. No, you don't. It's taken us 240 plus years to build this. Let's not burn it down. Um, but in a way, I think that's what he did. He exposed the media. He exposed the um, deep state, if you will, that there's something going on with our intelligence community, State Department, our Justice Department. There's something going on. We never got to the bottom of it. But I think because he was such a ticking time bomb, they reacted so viscerally 
that they exposed themselves. Do you agree with that or not? No, I do. I mean, I think that's that's some of the good that Trump did. Right. You know, I think that's why when he did his crazy stuff in the primary back in 16 or 15 leading into 16 on the stuff he said about John McCain going after a gold star family nine month campaign against me for one debate question, all this weird, these weird choices he made. People loved it. Why? Because they wanted to see a gold star family attacked. Absolutely not. No. Because they didn't think John McCain was a war hero. Absolutely not. It was this guy doesn't give a fig. Right. He will be the wrecking ball. Look at him. He doesn't care what anybody yeah. thinks of him. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the weirdness of Trump. He does really care, but he doesn't behave like he cares. Right. Um, and they were right. That's why when he got to Washington, he broke every conventional norm and really did shake up a lot of industries and showed us the truth. And the media is the best example of that because they were always anti-Republican and they, they always had an agenda. But man, did he pull the veil off. And now I think most clear seeing people can can list five examples off the top of their head of you know journalists they thought were objective who are actually left wing activists. But I think that, you know, the 57 percent of suburban college educated people who are like, no, some of them are, yes, liberal. But the, the ones who are Republican were like, he's good. Got our three Supreme Court justices, knocked down a bunch of things that needed knocking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, we're going to leave the rest of the thing standing. So you don't think there will be any pursuit of the Hunter Biden stuff? That's over, do you think? I think so. I, I think so. I actually... I would like to see it pursued. He's closer to power now than he oh, yeah. ever has been. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Hunter, he does not. I've said this about Trump. It's true. Hunter, too, does not have an adult relationship with the truth or ethics right. or morality or straight financial dealings. Right. And that's a problem. Joe Biden better keep him nowhere near well, I think, the White know, House. And we better be focused on him like a laser. Otherwise, he's going to get another Burisma deal going. I actually feel bad in some ways, very little um, uh, for Hunter, because I think he is. Um, uh, what's that uh, HBO show uh, with the family that's clearly the Murdochs? Uh, oh, Succession. Yeah, Succession is clearly so the Murdoch. That's so very good. much. I mean, you can look at the Biden family and it's it seems kind of like that, that he's this son who seems to be put through the ringer by a dad, at least according to the emails between uh, Hunter and the family. This is the way he looks at it, that he's kind of carrying the weight and dad, you know, takes 50 percent of it. But I'm keeping this family going. Uh, Any comment on that? So I I don't see it like that. Um, Succession is amazing, by the way. I I can't wait till it comes back. It's such a good show. It is. the, the family there is beyond repair. It's so damaged and so messed up. Look, I interviewed Joe Biden and Jill Biden when Joe released his book. Um, and I guess it was fall of 18, I want to say. And I read his book cover to cover. And you read the book and you close the book and you think, this is a good man. This is a good man who's been through a lot in his life. Mm-hmm. And I think his son, Bo, was a good man and was on, his, was on the rise uh, as a force in politics. Um, I think Hunter has a drug problem. Oh, yeah. I think he has a crack. He has a crack co- cocaine problem. And I don't know about you, but I've had people in my family who have had addiction problems. And it's it is like having a nuclear bomb go off in your family. Oh, yeah. I mean, the people who you know and love and trust and know have good hearts will lie and cheat and steal and ruin and wreck everything. 
And all you can do is feel totally powerless next to them. So I, to, the way I see it, because he's ra- he raised a, a good son with you know model behavior, and he raised another son who's had real struggles and very open drug problems. I don't see that as Joe Biden you know, is a, a succession type dad. I see that as um, he had the misfortune of drugs coming into his family, and but the problem has not yet been resolved. And Hunter Biden is now really close to a really important power circle. So you're not. And we do need to be assured he's not going to continue this behavior. And you're not you're not you don't see any validity in the the China deals and the backroom deals. Oh, no, I don't know. I'm not ruling that out. Okay. Okay. To the contrary. Okay. I think there's more than enough reason to keep looking. We've had independent witnesses come forward to validate the emails and say this was the deal. I just think that if you read. There, first of all, there are lovely emails from Joe Biden to Hunter that I could relate to as a family member of somebody who's an addict, just expressing love and trying to remind the person right. they come from a place of love and they have people who will support them. What you see in the emails is Hunter is bitter and feels put oh, yeah. upon, and I've got to go out there because my dad's a politician, I've got to earn all the money. Yeah, and honestly, like to me, I'm like, mm-hmm, that's an addict talking. Like yeah. that, I'm not I'm attributed all to that. I'm just saying. Having read the book, having interviewed Joe Biden, having learned a fair amount about their family, I, I don't I think he's a good dad who's struggling with a kid who's in a lot of trouble. And that doesn't excuse what Hunter Biden did, though. And we as the media need to look into it, mm-hmm. A, to find out whether Joe Biden himself did anything untoward in these business deals, and B, to make sure we know what we're getting one step away from the Oval Office. Um, I only talked to Roger Ailes a couple of times after I left Fox. One of them was when you were being dragged through the mud and I called Roger because I watched that and I thought, where's the Roger I know that doesn't allow anyone to beat up on his hosts. And I called him and I said, Roger, what's happening? Why, why, why is, why aren't you circling the wagons around Megan here uh, getting beat up because of that question? His answer was, I, he's, you know, Trump is Trump. And he's, I was shocked uh, by that behavior from Fox because there was no protection of you. What was your last, mm. what was your last week or so? What did it feel like being well, completely, seemingly completely alone at that time? Yeah, this is when Trump was coming after me. Um, it was extremely stressful. It, it was, it was not a good time for, yeah. for me professionally and as a result personally because the security threats got big it wasn't just like the normal death threats yeah, yeah. you get as a public figure. so yeah. sadly that is a thing kind of got yeah. used to it was like criminal profiles coming in from serious security agents sure. letting me know i need security and people showing up at my house um in the middle of the night in the middle of the day uh, a lot of examples of confronting me on the street with my kids had to go to Disney World with armed guards. So it, it was just. And they're done that. It was period when it comes to, yeah, security. You, I remember you when you left Fox, you were surrounded by like six security guards. It was crazy. So it's crazy sometimes the life of a public figure. And certainly Trump had made me way more of a public figure yeah. than um, and, and in a negative way, like he was attacking me. It was interesting. So that, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, at first, I understood Roger's. The pickle he was in because he was trying to keep what was then the Breitbart wing of the Fox News viewership mm-hmm. and keep more national review wing of the viewership, right? Sort of the mm-hmm. more intellectual Republican mm-hmm. wing and then 
were like, you know, working class, let's fight it out mm-hmm. in the And he didn't want to do anything that was going to alienate the Breitbart wing because that was Trump's core. And even more than Trump, Steve Bannon, who I have absolutely nothing but bad things to say about. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Up more than, I, have mo- lot of people. I have more I than bad like things to say about him. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. He's not one of them. No, he's, he's a genuinely bad person. Yeah. Genuinely bad. Yeah. And will soon be in federal prison from the way things look. So mm. great. Um, anyway, so he was really ginning it up. I mean, he was the one who get the campaigns going and like the worst things were being posted about me that were threatening and awful and genuinely misogynistic, mm. blah, blah, blah. So at first I understood Roger and then it went on and on and on and he wouldn't say anything. And Trump kept ramping it up. Yep. Um, and I'll tell you this, I think Roger was worried about the viewership and how that would affect him. I think we later found out that Roger had his own vulnerabilities that he might've been worried somebody knew about like Trump. I don't know. I think I want to say one other thing about it. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because let me tell you, after I asked Trump that debate question, Roger didn't speak to me for months and he didn't speak to brett and he didn't speak to chris wallace Mm. he was mad and i was the closest to him of that trio and finally he called me in there tried to hold it in didn't want to let it out and then finally he could control himself no longer and he went off on me about the question and he kept saying to me glenn this is a just for perspective for the audience about a year before ales would go down thanks to the sexual harassment Mm -hmm. scandal against him and he kept saying to me how could you, you never know what he could have come back at you with. You know, he could have turned the tables on you and said, what have you done? And I remember sitting there like, that would have been fine. Like, <laughs> I know. Nothing. Okay. Yeah. But now, and even when I was sitting there with, with Ailes, I knew he had harassed me, but I wasn't thinking, oh, he's worried about himself because he must be a serial harasser. I, was, I didn't even come uh. to my mind because I put that in the, in the rear view mirror years ago. I always just attributed it to he wanted to have an affair with me. It wasn't that he was a serial harasser. So anyway, I know he was mad about the question. What I wanted to say is the third point. The, the best statements that came out of Fox during that time that really did stand up for me were from Irina Briganti. Oh, my gosh. Who I know she's a complicated person. And I mean, she's come <laughs> after me and I've <laughs> we've had serious problems with you. But I will say ha- she's the only one who really had my back. And. Mm now have spent a couple of years at NBC, let me just say I would have loved to have had a longer relationship with Irina Briganti than I wound up having. <laughs> she knows how to fight. Yeah, she's I will tell you that that is the one thing about her is she's the press, one of the press people at, at Fox. And, uh, and that's the one thing that Fox did well. And that's why I questioned, where are you, Roger, uh, on Megan? Because they know how to fight. Um, and... They will fight internally their own people uh, sometimes. If they turn on you, it is, it is ugly. Uh, I, well, I, wait, Glenn, can I tell you something? The best statement she put out, like the fiercest statement Fox put out, Roger was in the hospital. He was having his back operated on, and it came from her directly. Mm. And, and she did get her hand slapped after it was done. I so bet she did. That sort of explains some of the conflicting yeah. messaging. So I, I, I've heard you talk about NBC, and I don't want to get into all of this, but you said that you went over there. They offered you a buttload of money. You were, you know, wine and dine, and you just wanted to be a mom and have a normal life, which you're clearly not having when you when you do what 
we do in in news, especially at night and primetime. Um, and I, I looked at that when you did that. I was like, wow, I hope that works. But I. I, I don't know how that's going to work. Should have called me. <laughs> I did. I, I wrote you several times. Um, no, you uh, and uh, uh, and I, I, I was encouraging to you, I think, if I'm not mistaken, while you were You've doing. You've always been a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, when you were doing the show. But uh, when did you know? When did you go? Oh, crap. This is a huge mistake. Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I guess, it, you know, it was a boiled frog situation where it took a couple, it took a couple of, you know, minutes in the increasingly hot water for me to figure out not only is it not working, but it's just, it's awful. You know, the, yeah. my life is awful and I'm, no one sees me clearly here, you know, right. no one, no one understands who I am and, and there's not a willingness to amongst my critics. Um, so I did the Alex Jones interview and that really threw me because, Everyone and their mother had interviewed Alex Jones, mainstream journalists in the New York Times and um, the New Yorker, I think it was, and uh, Piers Morgan on CNN moments like very soon after he had said these crazy things about Sandy Hook being a, a hoax. No one cared. No, everybody thought it was right. no pushback. And so then but then I did it and it was like, <sighs> you know, it was like I was devil woman. And um, I didn't understand. It was like six of the Newtown families did object to that interview. Um, but 19 of the families were either very pro my doing it because sure. they wanted to see him held to account finally right. or were neutral. Anyway, so that was a, that was a tough one. And then, uh, you know, Jane Fonda was an ass. That was kind of funny. Oh, I enjoyed was, that one. I watched that episode. That was, that was crazy. Oh, was so I good. I can't stand her. Yeah. I do it 10 times over. Yeah. Um, then there was weird, like Deborah Messing came after me. For, yeah. I'm like, who is this person? Yeah. I also like being on the opposite side of her. But it was just sort of one after the other. You could see these yeah. far left people. What right. do those two people have in common? They're far lefties. Um, and the thing, it's, the time I was really like, this is out of control. Was I did a segment about um, there was a woman who had fat shamed other women mm-hmm. who hadn't lost their baby weight soon enough, and she just got she caught holy hell on the internet as she should have. Then she a year went by, she gained some weight, she felt sorry. She did a mea culpa. She came on my show. I'm like, you know, that was kind of BS. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're right. And she really started to beat herself up. So I gave her a little, you know, a lifeline. And I was like, you know what? That kind of shaming, that kind of talk, it does work for some women. I said, you know, I used to be one of them. When I was in law school, I lived with my mom and my stepdad. And whenever I was going for more food at 11 o'clock at night, I used to ask my stepfather to call me a name, like a fat ass on the way to the kitchen. Wow. And it worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, Megan McCain, The View, Wendy, all of them are like, yeah. you hate fat people and you want them shame. I'm like, bullshit. I, that is what I did for myself when I was 19 or 20. It's none of your damn business how I stay thin. I'm Crazy. a perfectly healthy person. And I was like, this is nuts, right? Like, there is nothing I can say that won't get filtered through the least positive yeah. and generous so, so I- anyway, it just sort of became like a, a place that was totally unenjoyable. Like what I was doing was making me miserable. So- and, you know, I said to, I think it was Ben Shapiro, you know, sometimes when you're dying death by a thousand cuts, yeah. the machete is mercy. Yeah. Now, you don't need to elaborate on this, but I just like to know the the contract they paid 
a lot of money and I for one celebrated. Was it was it a very good day when you <laughs> <laughs> when they slid that contract over and you were like, you know, this might have been worth the year and a <laughs> year and a half. As you might imagine, there are certain things I'm not permitted to discuss. Yeah, I know. Um, but I will say this. As you know, I practiced law for 10 years, and I have an amazing lawyer named Brian Friedman, who I, I highly recommend. And I also discourage anyone from effing with me because I will sick him on you and it will be all. <laughs> um, and uh, there are very good reasons I feel that way about him. And that's all I'm going to yeah. say. Okay. Um, let me just go back to, you know, the regular news here. The Supreme Court. Um, a, I don't understand how anyone had a problem with Amy Coney Barrett. Unless you want the Constitution to be a living document that will say whatever you want to legislate from the bench. But she yes. seems rock solid to me. Do you get the same impression? Yes. I'm okay. pr very pro Amy Coney Barrett. Very pro. And a lot of my liberal friends um, who are lawyers who I went to law school with have sort of said to me, how should we feel about her? And I said, you should feel good. Yes, she's going to be like Scalia, but she's not going to be out of control. She's not going to be somebody who's going to be making up new law. Right. At most, she's going to, I don't see that in the Constitution, she's going to kick it back down to legislators right. who are supposed to public new laws. That's not threatening. That's not threatening. Um, and by the way, you know, my overall view of it is, he gets the pick he wants. Sorry, right. the way it has worked since time immemorial. So that this has to pick his person who he likes, and it, if it's a Republican, it's going to be more of a conservative ideology and vice versa on the other side. When you see um, Joe Biden talk about, oh, there's lots of ideas. We can, you know, lifetime appointment, but not necessarily the Supreme Court. We can move people around. They're talking about packing the courts, all kinds of new ideas to try to, um, uh, to correct what they call packing the lower court. Uh, because... The, Obama didn't finish the job in appointing judges, didn't get them through. How, how, how is America going to respond to that? And do you think they'd actually do that? I don't. I don't think he has the will or the desire or the guts because it would be, it would make the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing look like a day at the park. Can you imagine how hard the Republicans would fight against that? Oh my and if they win control of the Senate, they don't have to worry about it. Um, I do not think he'll do it. I think he's governed as a moderate and he used to head up the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I think he understands the high court and knows that would be eliminating the Supreme Court. We would have no, no more Supreme Court as an effective measure because it would have zero credibility. It would just become a political institution. No one would listen to the rulings. It would be the unspooling of the top of the third branch of government. So I don't think Joe Biden's going to do that. And I think this is really this is really an idea that was dreamt up and thought of by Jeffrey Tubin, who should have been focused more on how his Zoom works instead of <laughs> crazy things we can do to the high court. <laughs> um, is there, I'm trying to figure out, uh, Megan, I, you know, when I worked at Fox, we started the 912 Project and I did that thing in Washington, D.C. And it was about letting people know they're not alone and there is hope. And it's not through the political system. It's just not. It's if we just recognize Yes. The truth of who we are, who we've always tried to be and know that our Constitution doesn't say to form a perfect nation. It says to form a more 
perfect nation. And so we should always be striving for that, knowing that we'll never get there and we're never perfect. We never was. We never were. And we probably never will be. But as long as we keep moving forward, I'm trying to find a way to where we put this thing back together. And there are really angry people on both sides. And uh, if you push and push and push and call somebody horrible names for too long, they just don't know what else to do, especially if they're being silenced and they have no one speaking for them. Mm-hmm. How do we... How, how do we put this back together, especially if you do start to see things being pushed through that that are unconstitutional and they just keep moving forward? How do we respond? I've been thinking about that all week because, you know, Joe Biden came out and tweeted this thing out, which I responded to. And then the yeah. left lost his mind. They get so upset because they're, they're still wondering if I'm on their side. I'm not. And if you're on the right and you're wondering if I'm on your side, I'm not. I'm on the side of truth. Right. Um, and reason. But the left, can t- like the, the right is like, okay. And the left is like, ah, oh, uh, how could you? You're supposed to hate Trump. He attacked you. Right. You're betraying us. Anyway, so I gave Joe Biden, Biden a hard time for this. But it's coming out of him and top Democrats. Unity. Unity. Healing. Like, in fact, what Joe Biden tweeted was united, strengthened, healed. Oh, just that's all it takes. He just had to win. He didn't even have to get inaugurated. Right. Yet. Right. Just like, hey, we're healed. Ah. <laughs> well, no, not true. And even if it was aspirational, though, grammatically incorrect, um, it's not going to happen. And and I don't think it's a bad thing. I liked the 912 project. And I actually don't think you get nearly enough credit for thinking the way you do, Glenn. You're always looking for solutions, always solution oriented. And And honestly, I've known you a long time. I've listened to a lot of what you said the vast majority of which has been healing and kind and loving and well-intended. You, you stepped off the rails a couple of times as every public figure has. Mm-hmm. The only difference is when you're of Fox news or of the right or, you know, anything not left, people are watching and ready to demonize you. So I understand the unity thought, but I really think we should be focused on something else right now. And that is Liberty. That's the goal right now. And maybe if we can work on Liberty, we can get back to unity. But what's happening is an erosion of liberty in the country. You Back to our earlier discussion, you used to be able to say what you wanted to say in this country. Yep. Think what you wanted to think in this country. Be who you wanted to be in this country. And not have to worry about losing your job, your friend circle, um, your ability to engage in polite society, Jennifer Rubin. And now it's changing. So now I think, and I would have said this prior to the presidential election, it's time to fight. Now is not the time to unite. What's being shoved down our throats is wrong. And submission to this is not okay. You want your kid to grow up in this nonsense? He, he can't say anything without getting fired. He has to sit in order to have a corporate job or a job in the government and be told he's a racist because he was born with white skin through no fault of his own. That's the price for being an upstanding member of the society? No, no. I refuse. And as Douglas Murray says, I think it's time that we start standing up and saying, I refuse to let you do this to our society. I refuse to let you re-racialize us, divide us, um, and take steps back by 50 years. It's not time to unify. It's time to fight. 
One last thing. We've got about five minutes left. And I just I I saw you say that Dennis Prager made you cry. And that's why you wanted to do a podcast. How did Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla make you cry? (laughs) No one's ever said that to those two guys. (laughs) So I saw it was not long after I left NBC and I was still reeling. You know, now I'm fine. And, you know, I sort of have a good perspective on that whole ordeal. But make no mistake, when it happened, there were, there were very rough nights and a lot of tears shed. Not, not at the loss of NBC, but just at the public humiliation. And, you know, everybody's calling you a racist in the paper and your kids got to see this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's upsetting. You know, it's not true. You know, it's unfair. But, like, it doesn't do you any good to say that. No one, I know. The people who love you, they didn't believe it anyway. And the people mm-hmm. who want to believe it, want to believe it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're in an impossible situation but so i was still in that phase and mark joseph who directed this movie no safe spaces uh, and produced it invited me out i was in la and he said why don't you come by i'll give you a screening of it so i went with some other random people i didn't know and uh sat there by myself like in my little area and there was a scene in there about evergreen college up in the pacific northwest in washington state yep and this is where brett weinstein became a household name for a lot Mm -hmm. of folks where he was a professor who stood up to say, I don't think it's fair because what happened was the black students had been having a sick out every year to remind white people what life would be like without black people. Voluntary. Then one year they said, mm, now we want to change it. Now we want you white people to stay home. And Brett Weinstein, a liberal professor at this Very. college, as they all are, mm-hmm. uh, said, mm, I think that's different. It's different when one race is saying to everyone of the other race, don't come to support me and my cause. That's it. That's really all Brett Weinstein said. Like, I don't, I'm not sure that's the same and is a good idea. They treated him like he showed up to class wearing a Klan hat. Oh yeah. The, the police on campus said, it's too dangerous. We won't protect you. The students were spitting mad at him, calling him a racist and everything they could under the sun. But the moment that got me, Glenn, I mean, it was already building up. I'm watching the whole thing like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Where are we? Where are we? Why are we doing this to one another? Was there was a black student, a young girl, 18, who liked him. She was one of his students. And she wanted to cross the quad, I guess, to talk to him, just to ask him, why did you write that letter? And the, the mob was so disgusted with her. They shouted her down. And they get this woman in their clutches. And the next thing you see in the movie is, it was either later that day or the next day, she is made to read an apology in a written note card they've given her. And she, she's not a very good public speaker. Her reading aloud skills need, needed improvement. And she kept stumbling, stumbling on the words, which had clearly been written by somebody else. And they humiliated her. For what? For just wanting to ask him why he did this thing that was utterly non-controversial, but had been made such by a group of activists who, when given an inch, will always take a mile. And I, I had tears. I wept at what happened to her, what happened to him, lost his job, what happened to me, what's happening to us, to our country. That was the moment, Glenn, that I said, I'm going to get off of my damn couch and I'm going to get back out there and I'm going to do it in a way that I control it 
and I can say what I know millions of people also feel. I can stand up to these bullies, not just for me, but for everyone who feels like they can't say anything anymore. And that's why I'm totally committed to this show, to this mission. And when I wake up and I go to do, do the show every day, I feel totally joyful. And I don't care what they say about me, what they write about me, yep. what they threaten me with. I'm good. I will tell you, when I left Fox, uh, Roger said, you're not really leaving for that Internet thing. And he just didn't see the vision at all. And I said, yeah, I am. And it is freeing. And I saw a picture of you dancing in a free shirt, a shirt that said free or freedom. <laughs> Feeling and, free. Yeah. And and I can relate to it. But I'd like you just to voice what you meant by. It is something like it feels so good to I have it here feels so good to be uh, free of corporate media or something Overlords. like that uh, being outside of it's fun being outside of corporate media. What what's the difference for those who don't know? So many, you know, no one's trying to tell me what to say or how to lean or what story selection I have to choose or what guests I can or cannot put on. Um, no one's trying to attack me inside of my own workplace or destroy me or create a picture of me that has no bearing at all to who I really am. And separate and apart from that, and, and I also love just the direct relationship with the audience. It's direct. It's so authentic mm -hmm. and meaningful. And if they tune in, it's a real relationship between me and them. They don't, they don't listen to me because I followed O'Reilly. They listen to me because they want to listen to me. So I love that. But I also have to say... The digital world is fun. It's, it is joyful. Cable news is stressful and dark. And mm -hmm. I think if you're a viewer, you know it on some level. You don't feel good when you turn off these shows. Nope. And you're not meant to. You're not, you're not meant to. Stoking outrage pays the bills. Digital, it's, I'll just give you one example. It was election night. And I was doing a, a lot of digital stuff. And Oh, no, it was one of the debate nights. I was doing a lot of uh, interviews and podcasts and stuff like that. And I, I did one with Steven Crowder, who's a rip. And um, he was wearing <laughs> silk boxer underwear and like a boxer's robe made right. out of silk, red, yeah, white, yeah, yeah. blue. Yeah. And I, we did an interview like that. And I'm like, I love my new world. My new world is so much more fun than my old world. Oh, yeah. I love Brett Baer, but this would never have happened. Between the two of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I just think it's more like how real people live and it's not stodgy and it's not judgmental. It's free will and it's fun and it's the future. Megan, thank you so much. Always good to see you. God bless. Thanks for having me. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 